Well, we're glad that you're here today, tonight, on this rainy night. Man, you made a good choice to come to this tonight. What you're going to hear tonight is not a theory or uh, something someone made up to write in a book, but what you're going to hear tonight is what actually happened. These guys are not theorists, they're practitioners. And, uh, you know, how many of you want to be a millionaire? Yeah, me too. And uh, I'm just hanging around these guys. I'm hoping some of it will just rub off. And I'll wake up one day and go, oh, I'm Jim Anderson. Wait, and, but, no, just kidding. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we are excited to be here with you. And for these guys to share their story as to how they got to the place that they are. So without further ado, we'd like to begin our presentation. I'm running that? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. You want me to run that? Okay. Yeah, yeah so welcome. And uh, one of the guys asked me today, uh, there was a meeting with, said, uh, with students, said, uh, what, what do you wish I had asked you? And I said, well, uh, you can ask me, where should I put your trunk full of money? <laughs> That'd be good. So, yeah. He didn't, he didn't ask. Yeah. Um, How many of you are for having a trunk full of money? <laughs> That's good. We, we will not tell you how to, where that is, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm Jim. I'm in the uh, private equity business. Our firm is called Momentum Capital Partners. And just by way of brief introduction, what we do is uh, gather a pool of capital that seems to be bigger every time we raise a fund to invest in a group of privately held but profitable companies. We usually take majority ownership of those companies. Each fund is kind of 8 to 12 investments or companies. And uh, this is our... There it is. This... Whoa! Getting used to the speed. There we go. That's the, that's the current group uh, of companies. These are now mostly owned by the firm because we've kind of we've kind of transitioned into almost a family office fund now. Uh, but the previous investments are our larger uh, larger group, and there they are. Uh, so those, there's a couple of funds there. We gather money from mostly pension funds and large uh, private. Uh, large uh, family offices, high net worth individuals, you have to be pretty wealthy and sophisticated to invest. Those are securities regulations, limitations, but that's... Now, these are the businesses that you've sold. Correct? On the right hand are the businesses we've sold. Those are from two Those are previous, the ones he bought Two previous sold. funds, and the return is the uh, multiple on the capital returned. And this is a protocol that I insist on, which is that when we lose money, they go in bold and red and underlined so that my team knows we're never going to do that again. <laughs> Seems to have worked so far. Now, Jim, tell, us, tell them a little bit about uh, how you got into doing this and, and what, uh, what it was like to get started. Um, so I don't, I don't ever remember a conscious moment where I thought that I was going to be a wage earner. Um, I don't know if that's raising or wiring or both. That's working kind of a regular job where you work for a paycheck from yeah, somebody like else. working for somebody else never occurred to me that that would where, was where I would end up. I think it could have certainly happened to me without it occurring to me, but it didn't. And uh, I did, um, you know, very early in even junior high and high school, I was thinking about, you know, what skills do I need to, 
to succeed in investing? How can I save money? Uh, how do I learn enough about business to be helpful to the businesses that I want to invest in? Those, those kinds of things. So ultimately, I realized I kind of need to nail down there's a transaction skill that a lot of guys in investing don't have and private equity investing don't have. So as a senior in college, I finally figured out how to go to law school so I could figure that out. So I did, I'm pretty good at test taking, better at test taking than I am at school. And so the LSAT was a lot easier for me than a lot of my classes. I did pretty well on that. Got in and then worked as a corporate securities lawyer for a few years to kind of develop that skill set that was useful, kind of plug the skill set hole. And uh, mostly working for guys like me. Mostly working for guys who, who ran private equity investment funds or big portfolios. What were some choices that you had to make early on in order to get to the place where you are? Uh, you know, one of them was save your nickels. And so we uh, started out poor like everybody else. Well, I guess not everybody else, but we started out poor. And uh, so, you know, the question, I remember struggling with my wife, man, can we, can we put aside 10 or 15% of our income? Can we afford to do that? Because I knew that I needed to build a pool of capital so I didn't end up, you know, like a junior associate in a firm someday. You had, you had to be able to have some capital. And so we went from saving 10 or 15% of our income before we could really do it to just within a few years living on 15 or 20 percent of our income and saving everything else. Well, you can't do that. So our income went up pretty sharply, but you can't do that if your lifestyle elevates with your income. So a lot of my friends were very puzzled at the way we lived. They're no longer puzzled, yeah. right? Um, but we just, we had that, I knew we had to have some capital. That really paid off later. Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Randy Minan, and we're going to put a slide up for Randy here. Uh, quality, y'all are probably wondering what that means. We used to be quality benefits and insurance. Whoop. I was just going to show them that. Yeah, we're right. Quality's the bottom name on oh, there, yeah. so that's actually one of our investments. Right. Is, is his company. So. Right. And so um, we, we started in 1997. Um, anyway, so we shortened it to Qualby. You know, you hear companies like Geico. That means government insurance company and, and Aflac. Everyone likes to shorten it. It just makes it easier. And there wasn't anything on the Internet uh, like Qualby. So um, we, we have grown in, uh, from 2006 to 2016 6,000%. Uh, um, the last two years we've been the Inc. 5,000 um, winner. And then we've won the best place to work awards. One thing that, you know, a lot of people think in business, you either make money and, and use people and chew them up and spit them out, or you treat people really well and you don't make a whole lot of money. And so one thing we've uh, really tried to focus on um, is try to, it's like a wake from a boat on both sides, doing, trying to do business really well on one side, but treating people our employees, our customers, really well on the other side. And, and you can do that. Uh, there's one of the most famous management gurus, Peter Drucker, says, um, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> and so we try to create a really healthy culture. You go really fast. Teams work really well if you have a healthy culture. You don't worry about politics. You're just trying to get stuff done. Um, and so that, that has been very effective. I think it's the most effective long-term strategy is to have both sides of that working. Well, let's, let's pull back just a little bit, and um, I want you to, to look at these awards that he's won. Um, they're home-based in Fort Worth, Texas, 
uh, Fort Worth, Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth, what they call the Metroplex, is the fourth largest metropolitan area in the United States. And, uh, Jim, you have, you, there's something that you found out about the triangle. Would you share that oh, with The tech triangle? The, the tech te- triangle. What they call a tech triangle is uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Austin. And that's, there are, that is a larger, uh, the, the technology industry in the tech triangle is larger than any place else in the country, including Silicon Valley and the Bay Area. That's surprising, isn't it? So just that's a, that's a good brag on him, how impressive some of these awards are to win those area, yeah, so it's area a, awards. And a couple of them are national, Inc. 5000. Are and um, That's the kind of guy you might want to put money behind. <laughs> One thing, <laughs> oh, I would point out I didn't win any of those until after... <laughs> Momentum had invested. Right. And Randy was one. Just to clarify, Randy was he got into the uh, internet things pretty early on, didn't he? Oh yeah, you started. Your your real curve was was di- digital marketing starting in like what ninety six or something. No, it was ninety eight. Ninety eight. Oh, ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you realize you're like the Henry Ford of the internet. You know, like, they're yeah. welding the thing together. So yeah. So. Yeah, I have enough nerd in me, so I went and bought books and, and, and taught myself how to build websites, uh, how to how to do all all of the stuff that was just kind of emerging at that time. It yeah, was you, you, bought, think, you bought both of the books on building websites. I think yeah. I think Google was yeah. worth about a million dollars back then, and I wish I had had their trajectory. But yeah. hey, I, before we get too far, along back too. when people still sent faxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. The facts of life. Um, it wasn't always this way, though, was it, Randy? Can you give us a little of your background? You mean starting kind of how you got to here? Yeah. From Did you start with those silver awards? Oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was a struggle. In fact, later on, I'm going to talk more about it. But, uh, you know, there, it's a real struggle. And anybody who started businesses, um, it is, you, you see the stuff on TV and, and so on. Uh, and it looks easy, it looks simple, but you know, you read books like Shoe Dog about Nike and Disney. You know, at one time was eating out of garbage cans. I never had to do that, but <laughs> but it's it was a, a a real hard struggle. There's a couple of times. I mean, I can go ahead and jump. Well, you want to go to the next slide? Is that the one? We okay. Can? Yeah. Why don't we look at the next slide and then we'll uh, what do we got on this, this next slide? Oh yeah. So these are the these are the questions we frequently get in environments like this. The first one is this. That's usually the That's a pretty good one. question. Yeah. And we've probably said as much about that, really, as we're going to say tonight about the specifics. So we try to get that one off the table. The second one is this. Um, the answer is we don't really know. Uh, but we'll give you some principles on maybe how to stay sane while you try. Right? And so the, um, the, the short answer to kind of what we've discussed here, what Randy was saying, is... Something along these lines, Randy. Yeah. So, so, so our philosophy is great culture plus solid business model. You have to have that solid business model e- equals growing, sustainable, long-term business. Uh, you know, every day you hear about businesses that have uh, uh, grown big and then they they get into trouble or something happens to CEO or or, or they get cheating or something. But long-term, sustainable growth. Uh, and, and having great people, great culture, I think is the best way to do a business in a long-term scenario. So, Yeah, so, for, you know, for us uh, uh, in the investment business, I mean, what, what we try to do is just find great, great managers uh, who 
match a business. So they're not, that's, that's like Randy was inside his business and had built it from the ground up, and that's a real natural, easy thing. But sometimes we're just trying to find a, a business that is sort of aged, where the management team is aged out, or the partners aren't getting along, or the family is running it for the purpose of like drawing out cash rather than growing the business. And you got to match a management team to it. So if you can find a great match between the business and the management team, then you help them with culture and systems and process improvement and handle the lenders uh, for them. You just take a bunch of stuff off of their plate so that they can do what he's talking about. So they can do this. They can build a great a great culture around a good business model. So. Right. And it, it, it got to the point where I'm, I'm entrepreneurial. I am always like trying to invent stuff. And it's a very, confu- it can be very chaotic and confusing. So you need a, a systems guy who can kind of makes sense. Or make sure guy, we make yeah. payroll. Or a guy who can call a systems guy at least. You know. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or knows the systems guy. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, yeah. Good so team. yeah, that's great. So uh, a couple of questions we'd, we'd like, we can say something. You were moving your mic I like was. you were going to say I something. I was going to tell you boys we needed to move on. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. All right. Thank you. All right, so there are a couple of questions we would like to encourage you to ask, though, other than these top two, which are very natural. One is, you know, how do you define success? Uh, that's that's not sort of a question just for us. It's a question for you. You need to decide how you define success. Uh, we'll give you some hints tonight about how we think about it. And then is wealth an essential component of that success? Or maybe a better question is to what extent is wealth an essential component of how you define success? Because it's hard to get by without any. You get hungry and stuff. So... So what success generally looks like, this is a pretty good picture of how we thought it would happen and how we thought, uh, you know, when you look at other people who are older than you, guys, successful people, uh, they're already successful, so you just sort of envision this in their world. But for us, the way it really happens is more like that, something more like that. Go ahead. You want to speak so, to that a little bit and uh, give us some insight on it? Sure, sure. You know, one of, one of the phrases, and it, it does, I didn't think it was that groundbreaking, but one of our key managers wrote it on the, his whiteboard, the very top. Uh, one of the keys in life is just hanging in there, uh, going through all the things you have to go through, sustaining all the, the, the successes and all the setbacks and so on. Um, you know, and, and I've talked to these guys. I can remember three times... Uh, getting in my car, driving around, crying out to God, you know, what am I doing? How do I get out of this thing? Um, having my pity party and then going back to work <laughs> and doing the stuff I need to do. And so, you know, I was midst, I was right in the middle of that squiggly thing. And uh, I didn't see, and at some point, if you look, you kind of go backwards and, and you're back to where you were. Um, and so, and really, technically, go ahead yeah, and point out is, where that is. Yeah, this point right here is distressing, but the really, really distressing point is right here, right? Because you spent years going around in circles, and you're right back yep. where you started. And it happens. It's just very, it can just be very difficult. I know uh, one, one of my, one of the CEOs of the company on that, on that list that we've already exited uh, when they were in our office, they had a great management team and really good business model. And I said, why are you, you know, why are you here? And he said, you know, about six months ago, 
I had to, we got overextended a little bit trying to a growth plan, and I had to walk around to all of my key guys and gather up their car keys and go sell their cars so we could make payroll, and I'd rather not do that again. <laughs> People do this stuff. I mean, it's, and, and bully for them. They, you know, they pulled through and made it, but there are people who do that and don't make it too. So it's, overnight it's successes are never overnight. They're always yeah. this. There's a, there's a few unicorns, uh, but mostly not. Right. Randy, um, at this point, would you like to tell us a little bit about? I mean, it wasn't always this way for you. Uh, you want to tell us about uh, well how you got started as a college student? Oh well, yeah. So. Um, my, uh, my journey, I started at University of Texas. Um, I uh, joined a fraternity. I was in a fraternity. And I remember driving into town, and about a year and a half later, well, they told me, University of Texas told me, don't ever come back again. <laughs> After you were there for a year and a half. And I remember driving out of town. And I'm not sure really what happened in between that time. <laughs> he was in a fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if that explains anything. It yeah. wasn't my sharpest moment of my life. But, um, and you ended up with a four-point, though. Well, I, yeah, so my joke is that, and I, I ended up finishing at TCU. So my joke is I had a four-point in college. I had a .5 at UT and a 3.5 at TCU. And if you add them together... Uh, it equals four point. And so people ask me, what'd you get in college? Uh, four point. <laughs> well, you know, but when you came back, what did your, what did your dad say to you? Well, he told me. Get a job. He told me get a job, yeah. And really that was. Uh, this was before you went to TCU, between yes. UT and TCU. Yes. Your dad said to you. Yeah, he said, well, he said, yeah, that's enough of that. And you got to get, get a job. And so I actually. It, I did more, start more, my more first... More specifically, because I know his dad. Yeah. He said, you know, I'm done paying for this, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was the right thing. Absolutely. He was done. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Dad. God. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so that, actually, that was a good thing. I started my first business. Uh, it was home improvement. It's during the energy crisis. Uh, they had a tax credit. Started that. We did it for a couple of years. And I, I really, I knew I needed to go back to college and, and uh, go back to, and I was more serious. I had to grow up. I was, uh, and that was a very good experience. Sometimes pain is some of the, is one of the greatest teachers in life. <laughs> and so I just had to go through that. And then later on, you had a life-changing experience that really impacted you as well. Yeah, and, and so uh, for me, uh, when I um, uh, got married, uh, found a great bride, we're still married, 33 years later, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we still and love each other, way, too. By the way, that uh, other arrow thing works for marriage, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, anything in, go back one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't want to give up too soon. Well, I'll fight it for you. We digress. We yeah, gotta, we, we gotta but keep... anything in life uh, is hard. We send you back to web school. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so anyway, so uh, I, I met a, a guy at an apartment party. Uh, I was on my third beer, smoking a cigarette. Everybody smoked back then. Um, and so he, he was not a wimp. He was a really cool guy, but he, he was a Christian. And, uh, you know, and so I had to figure out why this non-wimp guy <laughs> was a Christian. So I got involved in a Bible study. And, and over time, I, it, it kind of made sense. And for me, you know, I, I, anyone... 
been had a string of uh, Christmas lights that are burned out and you're trying to fix it. You take one bulb out and lights don't come on. You take another bulb out, the lights don't come on. For me, the one bulb was drinking and party and the, the other one was just stupid stuff. And finally I found this bulb, I screwed it in and the lights came on and, and that was Jesus Christ. And so it's like, okay, I found what I've been looking for my whole life. So there were you know, changes along the way that had to be made, not only in your business, but in your person. Personal life, yes, yes. And, I, and, my, and I, my wife, we talk about, I don't think I'd still be married if we hadn't, because we'd set a very bad foundation in our marriage up to that point. Jim, you want to chime in here? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's similar, similar story. They didn't throw me out of uh, UT or college, but I did... Um, um, you know, life was kind of a mess, just in a lot of ways, relationally. And I was in graduate school, and um, what was, what, the funniest thing happened to me. I had a group of guys in law school that I played basketball with every day. We'd go to class. We'd go to the court. We were all former high school players, so we would wait around the A court, sometimes play on the B court, you know. And, but we got to looking for this group of guys that were so good to play with. And we just kind of unconsciously did it. We all wanted to play against them because they'd like call their own fouls. You didn't have to spend your time fighting. You could spend your time playing. <laughs> and they were just, it was just really pleasant. And then I got invited to uh, a campus ministry meeting and I showed up and one of the guys came up and said, I know you. <laughs> he was a great ball player, a really good ball player and was just really pleasant to play with. And I began to realize there's something different about these guys. So I was, you know, I ended up in a, ultimately in a Bible study and and gave my life to Christ later that semester. That was a real turning point for me because there was now a compass in life. There was now uh, direction, some boundaries that were you could clarify. So it was really helpful. Okay, well, let's move on with our presentation on how you guys got to the place that you are. Yeah. Well, let's see. Just keep your hands off this. Okay. <laughs> You've got to figure it out. All right. So, I don't understand technology. <laughs> So time and wealth, again, they tend to look, you know, when you look at people who've, who've been successful, particularly economically, you tend to think about that left side of the graph. But they look, it really, the way it really looks is pretty different. You really tend to plug away for a very long time. So you guys familiar with kind of the 10,000-hour rule, Malcolm Gladwell's? deal takes about 10,000 hours of practice to develop a decent skill. In most businesses, uh, uh, his and including mine and investment, there are several skills you need to learn. 10,000 hours, about five years of work time. Uh, three or four if you want to push really hard, and particularly, you know, if you're single, can work all night most of the time. You can do it a little faster, but it just takes that long to develop them. So if you need three or four or five areas of competency that you've really mastered, you're now looking at a 15 or 20 year spread and then they really start to bear fruit so it's just it's like a long-term farming you know you plant and you wait um, and you just keep working it so most of the time in operating companies this is this is actually not a very extreme j curve it probably should be more extreme but right. you know we when we make investments in companies we kind of expect their value to go down for a while before it goes back up because there's stuff that has to change and change is difficult. His story is a little longer and a little different. Tell it. Right. Well, and, and realize, too, at it, it, uh, 2008, I was 50 years old. And so um, it was in, what is it, what is that, four decades? 
And yeah, it's uh, 40 years on that chart. Yeah, and, and the Harvard Business Review did a study. The average age of, found, of founders of companies is 42. You'd think it would be younger, uh, but that is, a lot of times people have to figure things out. Uh, they have to uh, learn a lot. You know, some people do a lot younger, and, and that's great, but... Uh, uh, it, it will accelerate your learning. Yes, and, and technically... A lot of those companies just don't make it. <laughs> right, and, and you know, technically I started my first company when I was 20, and that was a great teacher for me. And so, um, so anyway, it was a long slog, and actually if you did the graph right, it actually probably went below zero <laughs> for, a while, for a little bit before we, you know, took off. But uh, it was... It was really tough. But there is that time, and it, and it involved an event, too, didn't it? Some kind of events that happened that caused this to turn up? For him or for me? Either one. Well, I know for me, um, you know, my curve's a little different, and uh, the pattern is a lot the same, but really a little earlier, 2004, we're about the same age. Well, he's a lot older. You're 60, right? I'm 60 now, yeah. I'm only 59, <laughs> so he's, he's a lot older. <laughs> Youngster. We're not even in the same decade. That's why he's going to go get the car, you know, four blocks away. And yeah, and then up. you, and then you, yeah, and then you can call Uber, dude. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, for me, this was, you know, I'd, again, I saved my nickels. Uh, was a was actually was managing partner of our first fund in 2004. We exited that fund with uh, three very large transactions that all occurred in the same calendar quarter. It's exhausting just thinking about it. Um, so whatever I didn't know about transactions yet, I kind of learned in that quarter. And at the end of that, I had a partner who was in his 60s and was ready to retire and another one who's about my age, uh, but who had had a pretty serious health event and was ready to quit. So I was able to take all that capital I'd saved from living on a small fraction of our income for many years and the money I made out of that first fund and buy those guys out. So Nana was not just managing partner, but the largest single shareholder in the firm. And that was a pretty big, that was a pretty good big turning point because that next fund was pretty good. And our timing was good. We had a couple of investments we made in 2008 and 2009 that were pretty tough. You remember what happened then, right? But, but other than that, it was really profitable. Right, yeah, and actually that's a good point. If you notice for, for Qualby too, it was around the 2008 when it actually took off. And so that was very, very fortunate. That was one of the reasons I was real interested in it, because it was kind of counter-recessionary. We're now off track, sorry. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about um, how uh, some, some things we need to, some things that work against us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So self-defeating strategies. So there are actually some strategies. What did Andy Stanley say about that? Didn't he say that I yeah. Do you have that quote? Yeah, I do somewhere. But you're, <laughs> you're, off, you're off page. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have participated in every bad decision I've ever made. <laughs> I am the mastermind behind my greatest regrets. I have done more to undermine my success than anyone else. <laughs> That's pretty These good. These are great truths. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about yeah. how not, not to do that. Yeah, yeah, how not to do that, so... So um, this, is, this is a set of patterns that we all have, right? I mean, we all do them, but people tend to major on one. You do it, I do it, everybody does. If you can recognize your own pattern and think about it, the way we've tried to help employees 
is, uh, so the first one here is, is called the simple way. Okay, all right, so let me back up. So English can be imprecise, right? So we have a word in English called, this is the word fool. But some of the ancient Middle Eastern languages, Hebrew in particular, have seven, six or seven words that we translate all of them fool. They have more specific meanings than that because we can use fool very broadly, right? But these are fairly specific. So one of them is a simple way, and a simple way fool uh, says, it's just not that hard. So what, what we have to do then is develop success strategies that combat that idea so that people who are tempted with this, it's not that hard foolishness, can figure out how to combat it. These first three, <coughs> pardon me, are fairly similar. Simple way, easy way, fun way, cheating works, gratification is the best thing in life. They all have some things uh, in common. So, Randy, you want to talk about the right. first and, of that? And so I was the poster child for, for these first three <laughs> at one point. Yeah, my, but, my, in here I have my notes because he had access to my notes. It says, Jim is a rabble-rouser and a cotton-headed ninny-muggy. <laughs> and somehow that wasn't part of the introduction. I don't know how you left that out. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, our, in our company, we, one thing we task our employees to do is, is, um, is to come up with 10 core values that we wanted to live by, what we wanted to work by, how we wanted to treat each other. Um, and so these are, are some of them. Uh, one of them was was humility or be humble. He, uh, the the senior VP of hiring of Google says that's one of the key things he looks for in hiring employees is humility. Uh, the one reason is, or several reasons, is that you you work better in teams. You're teachable. You listen. Uh, you don't try to push your own agenda, regardless of what it means to the company or to the team. And so uh, the other one is uh, be humble, be teachable. Being teachable is the only legitimate shortcut in life. Any other shortcut will get you in trouble. And so you can learn from, uh, we, we really try to learn from our employees, you know, from the people in the front line trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and then uh, never yeah, stop what, learning. What, what that allows you to do, what teach, teach, being teachable allows you to do is to learn from other people's mistakes rather than having to make your own. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's a shortcut. <laughs> And so, so, um, so anyway, and we have, you know, you, you read about the Silicon Valley execs, they read four books a month, and, you know, we try to read, uh, our average employee read over 15 books uh, last, on, in 2018. And so, uh, we have a real culture of learning, reading, trying to uh, be as aggressive as we can, and trying to understand because in, the, in, the, in, in our industry, you have to go real fast, and you have to learn. And so, so that's just the way we try to, that's part of our culture. And after we are finished, uh, actually the quality culture, the strategies, the values are right here on this pull-up. And we'll put this out for you to be able to look at after we're done. Yep. Yeah, so we're, we're getting short of time, so I'm just going to run these up here. But there are the, there are the six self-defeating strategies, simple way, easy way, fun way, my way, glory way. There's only five. Oh, there it is. Predatory way. Probably not too many of those here tonight. They end up as, uh, some of them end up as serial killers. Unfortunately, some of them end up running companies. Um, <laughs> e either way, they basically just consume and consume people. We don't recommend that. Uh, but there, there's a couple of real common ones in here. My way, glory way, and then some combination of those first one, easy way. A lot of people have those temptations. Uh, my 
people who know me are kind of shocked to find out that my internal tendency tends to be easy way. Um, and I think the reason they're shocked is because I have so aggressively combated that <laughs> that I come, I kind of come off the other way because these scare me to death. Yeah, none of those reflect me. <laughs> and I'm totally out of touch with reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, actually, that's so, a good point. Everybody has one of these or a couple of these or so. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah and you have to fight bent, it. Kind of a bent that you have. Yeah, yeah, you tend to major on one. And once you're aware of it, you can fix it. So one of the things we try to do is, is Randy and I have together over the years developed a uh, kind of an employee screening and training program that we call you know, high-performance teams. We use, it, I use, we use it in all our companies. Um, it is a document that analyzes these, these failure strategies with things like, here's how you might get off track. Here are situations that occur, actual situations with employees that occur. Here's how to get off track with these. Here's how to know you're back on track with these. If you want to be engaged in a culture of this kind, fill out your application. Otherwise, see ya. Right, and that's that's a really good sort because there there really are people who just they're just not interested in that kind of culture. They would really like to do something else. I don't know where it is, but it's a good screening. Uh, it also gives you the ethical framework you need to go talk to people about their behavior later. Right, so culture is always top down. You change culture top down. It's the only way. Um, but what I do with companies is I'll just send the managers three or four examples. This is a real good one. Got another company in Dallas that. Uh, has written a really good uh, c culture document, high-performance teams document based on these strategies. Some of them are five pages long. Some of them are 20 pages long. I'll just send a management team three or four examples and ask them to write their own and get their employee input on it. And it's really, it's really helpful when it comes to sorting people. So anyway, that's a way to, that's a way to use those. Are we out of time? Um, we are very close. But we have about four minutes. Let's go through this right, real quick. It's the next slide. Oh, okay. So there's also a set of self-defeating lies. Uh, you can see what they are there. These are the things we all tell ourselves when we want to quit. Right? So how do you want to handle this, Randy? Um, yeah, just walk through that, and then I'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, so if you can acquaint uh, employees or your children with these uh, so that they just become natural, they become inoculated against them, right? I was recently at a, at a meeting at Randy's office, and there was a young fella in his 20s. It was uh, Colton. Yeah. Really great kid. And he was in the, he was in the uh, break room, and somebody had just taken the last piece of cake. There's always cake at Randy's. That's, and that's one of our core values. That's core value yeah. number 11. It really <laughs> Cake. It really is. Like, this was birthday cake. Yeah, that was probably birthday cake. Anyway, he, he didn't get any. And I said, hey, you didn't get any cake. And he said, yeah, it's not fair. I'm the only one. He just he did like four or five. I mean, he knew exactly what he was doing. It was hilarious. He just went through like yeah, yeah. three or four of these lies. He had them right on the top of his head. Yeah. And just and just went went through those in a very self-deprecating way. It was it was really. I thought, man, that stuff is really working. How old's Colton? Maybe twenty-five. Twenty-five. Yeah. Maybe twenty-five. But he has figured out that there are ways that you shape yourself by how you run your thought processes, which is that last lie. I can't help what I think about. He's proving that he can. 
know, <laughs> as you as you before you get into that, Randy, I believe there's something, Jim, that you talked about the difference between school and education. Would you talk about that for a moment? I would. Yeah. To you want me to say that to a bunch of college students? Are there That's any right. administrators in the room? <laughs> okay, good. So <laughs> maybe we won't answer that question. <laughs> Moving along. No. Hey, Ginger, where's Ginger? My daughter's here. All right. What's Ginger. the difference between school and education? Hey, it's go. working. Yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> give that girl a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, give her a piece of cake. What's that? Oh, yeah, do that. Do that. So, is that what you wanted? Yes. Yeah, I, I'm really trying to, go ahead, you can I run think that. that. Just I think that's careful. important while they're looking for this. I think that's important because you are in school, and for some you, of you, just getting done with school is the key. But you want to get your education while you're in school, yeah. not just finish. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess I would say school is a perfectly fine way for you to acquire a portion of your education as long as you realize it's a small portion and as long as somebody can afford it. But that's, I don't regard it as much more than that. Now, if you want to be an engineer, it's pretty hard to get that education by yourself. But there are ways other than formal college. Well, right? what do we want to wrap up with? So, yeah. so one thing, too, just to wrap up this point. Um, this last, you know, we talked about the self-defeating lies. And even this last week, as we're trying to get ready to get here, um, I, I'm trying to do this transaction. I have a lot going on at work. Uh, there's just a whole thing, a whole bunch of stuff going on. And I started thinking, you know, it's, this is just too hard. <laughs> this is not what I want. What I want. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's the, these self-defeating lies you just saw are, are, are stuff we all deal with. And employees deal with it. I deal with it. Um, you just, it's, it's, uh, it's not what I want. Uh, uh, it's not fair. You just have to get past that. And then entrepreneurs and, and business people, you just have to push through that. You just cannot buy into that. Actually, Randy could have easily bailed out of this trip, but he didn't. Yeah. Not, not without subjecting himself to mockery. <laughs> yeah, well, that's peer true. pressure just, works too. That's, that's true. A, just so you know. Well, guys, a, we are out of time. That's how we roll. Okay. So, so uh, we know we didn't cover everything that you were hoping for, so now's your time. If there was a question that you have that you'd like to have answered, we have a microphone right over there. If you will walk to the microphone, we will endeavor to give you an answer. So my first question is, uh, what habits should an average college student give up in order to become successful? What, what habits? Yeah, what habits should oh, we should give up? Should you give up? To become successful. Oh, if I remember college correctly, most of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the way I did it anyway. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Well, I, um, Give them a serious I, I know for guys, um, y you know, you can find things that are just humongous time wasters, like gaming. Take your game console out in the field and, and run over it with your car <laughs> or something like that. No, but, but any, anyway, just try to, try to stay focused and, and put the stuff that, that don't matter behind you. And, and you know what? And, and talk to someone who who's really like Paul and some of these guys too that are, you know, have good habits and, and, you know, ask, ask me, how can I 
be more focused and get stuff done? And, and what do you suggest? It's part of that being teachable thing that we talked about. I it's have just another a great one question. here. It's, yeah. it's go to class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. Give it up? You ask which ones to give up. Oh, you're saying give up, not yeah. going to class. Don't tell your parents. Don't tell your parents that one. Whoops. Yeah. That's go why, I, that's why I'm not class. sitting in one yeah. of these two seats. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I would say this. Um, it's hard to believe, but you have more discretionary time right now than you're going to have for the next 40 years. Right. And so learning how to use your time effectively Trust us on that one. Is, is really important. Go ahead and get a head start on that one. Yeah. So uh, just, there's just all kinds of things that are not productive that are going to fall out. Practice. Yeah. Yeah. Staying up late when you don't need to. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, right. thank you. Thank you. Um, going off of how you manage your time, how, in your pursuit of success, have you been able to maintain your relationships with both friends and family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they haven't. <laughs> yeah, what are those? No, uh, actually, um, you know, you, you never want to... My goal was to never sacrifice the things that that are, you know that are important in life, like my family, my wife, my kids, I didn't want to put them up on the altar to do that. And you really don't have to. Um, you can be successful in a lot of different areas of life. It's not like you have to, they're like balls and you just don't want to let one drop. Because I've seen guys that have, and, and people, that have sacrificed things for success. And those are some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet in your life. Because... It's it, the example I like. Can I give the dog dog race? It's there. You ever anyone seen the dog races where they chase the mechanical rabbit around? And one time the mechanical rabbit broke, and all the dogs caught it, and they're all like disappointed and barking at each other and they're biting like, each other. And the point is, business. If that all you have is is success and that's it, when you catch that, you're going to be very disappointed. So you have to have it all in balance. You have to have it in, uh, all. All yeah, this, this choice, it is true. Well, many, many wealthy people are miserable, um, and that's kind of a bad trade, right? But, but being poor and happy, I don't really advocate either of those. Wealthy and miserable kind of speaks for itself, but being poor and happy only lasts until something goes wrong, right? Because you're, you're like one adverse event away from being poor and miserable, which between those two... I guess wealthy and miserable is better than poor and miserable because at least you could do something about some of your problems. Right. So we're not really advocating any of those. What I, right. what I would say to, on those is these, these kind of four realms down here, marriage, kids, extended family, family, friends, and associations, uh, meaning, wealth building, and career, uh, genuine success is defined by handling all four of those. And if you, hand, and if you drop one ball, it impacts the rest of them. Right. So if, if you want your family to be successful, for instance, at some point, you've got to handle some wealth building. Yep. If you want your if you want your family life to be successful because they need to eat. Uh, yep. So you can't you can't really choose one. You got to do them all. You kind of be reasonable, reasonably successful. No one is more surprised at the level of wealth that we've attained than us. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so what we were trying to do is sort of handle all of these, and we just happened to make more money than we thought we would, and I don't mind, but 
I don't know why, really. I mean, you know, we just we, we worked hard, but really the goal was to handle all of those in a reasonably successful fashion. And that's that's what I'd encourage you to think about in terms of genuine. You, you know, just a, real quick, another a good book is The Millionaire Next Door. I don't know if y'all ever read it, but it's, it talks about the everyday wage earner. Um, I think the number two ca- category yeah. of career of millionaires in the country is school teacher. But they, it's, it's yeah, and it's, it's people, and it's pensions, but it's also people who, who save over a lifetime. They, they live on not their income, like Jim was talking about, a small percentage. They don't have all the fancy stuff. They don't have all the fancy cars. They don't have, you know, so you can, in this country, over a long period of time, compounding interest um, in, in saving and, and right. investing and so on, right. you can, can do well. We, we've done it. You know, our, our story's different than that. And I know that's not your question, but... <laughs> All right, let's take but the But you get question. the answer anyway. You get the thank answer you. anyway. Yeah. No charge. Yeah, thank you. Good question. <laughs> yeah, let's give her... So, my name is Marquia, and I'm a young entrepreneur. Um, I have a question. Um, earlier, you asked us to raise our hands if we wanted to be a millionaire. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with wanting money, but how do you balance... Um, how do you balance like your passion and your want for money instead of like so that you won't, you know, end up being like greedy for money or, you know, right. I'd rather be more impactful than rich. So how do you balance right. the two? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Can I? Fire away. Well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> being wanting money and, and, and uh, you know, you, you do, if you're trying to make an impact in, in, in society, then that's your that's your wealth. That's your currency, and so on. And so that's that's good. The, you know, one thing, and again, I'm going to answer a different question. You might not answer it, but you know, uh, the example of of us trying to do what we're we're doing, trying to build a business, because for us, that's kind of our calling. And you know, you have your. And the example I heard uh, one time, uh, Henry Cloud. I know some of you've heard of the author, but I heard him speaking, and he said, you know, it's like an apple tree. An apple tree doesn't at one point say, you know, that's enough apples. I think I'm going to stop. No, it's, it was built to produce as much as it can to be as productive as it can. And so it's, it's, that's what it was created for. And so you don't stop because, and, and so, you know, you, you don't want to confuse, you know, greed with, with producing wealth. Now, if it becomes your master, you know, uh, uh, wealth is a great tool. It's a terrible master and it ruins people. And so you never want that to happen either. But, but your currency, you know, if you're uh, in ministry, it's, it's, it's helping loving people, reaching out to people, caring for people. You know, if you're trying to create a business to help people, that is your cr- currency, so to speak. So, and yeah, and that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, in any group of people, any cross-section of people like this room, if everybody in the room determined that what we're going to do as best we can is the next right thing every time, and we're going to make the best possible decisions that we can, a certain number of people in the room are going to end up rich. It's just sort of the statistical model, right? So we're happy to volunteer for those positions. <laughs> and, and, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 40, we were sitting in your position, and we happened to be a couple of those guys. Yeah. Right. So, yes, there are decisions you can make that put you in position to make money. Doesn't mean doesn't mean it has to rule you. Right. The thing I love about money is the ability to do about having some is the ability to do good. You know, when 
when a friend calls me and wants to buy a sonogram for crisis pregnancy center, I can cut him a check. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, for us kind of the same vein of what you're talking about for, for me in, in, uh, my currency is coming, flying here to Chico and talking to you guys. Right. And that's what I want my life to be about and to help people. And so, you know, I get, I get what you're talking about and that's really good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. That's a great question. Great job. Yeah. Time's running short, so we'll have to be a little quicker with our yeah. answers. Hi, um, my name is Jared, and um, so kind of along the lines of you guys helping people, um, I was just wondering what you guys do with your resources um, to help people. If it was just like kind of like that case by case scenario where you know someone calls you for something, you kind of a check, or do you guys like are you guys actively involved in like philanthropy and um, donating? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of different categories you can you can give money. You know, the, 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 you have your time, talent, and treasure, and so. The thing about having the means, you can give money uh, or you can give your time and go spend a week here in Chico. We've got a whole bunch of meetings that we're trying to do. And so that's, and then, uh, and, uh, and then our talent, you know, helping other businesses, meeting with people, you know, meeting with people that, that are not paying us per se, but just need mentoring. And so those three categories. So if you have that opportunity, and having the resources allows us to do all three categories. You know, I just don't want to be a donor, but that's a good thing. If we can find something that can really help a specific need, that is really cool. And actually, they've done studies of the brain that when you give, it's actually a lot more pleasure than, than getting. And so the most generous people that you'll ever meet are some of the happiest people. And so being in that position to be able to do that is, is really a privilege, actually. I want to jump in here on this. And also, one of the great things these guys are doing is they're providing jobs for people. Somebody has to do that. Yeah, and my biggest goal in life is just don't screw up. <laughs> That's right. That's, there I you go. Put that on the wall. We're going to put that on the wall before we leave tonight. Yeah. <laughs> just don't screw up. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, That's a quotable. Oh, All right, next. Thank you. It, Good question. It, it does get that, yeah. Yeah. So you guys mentioned that um, transactions require um, certain skills. What are some of those skills? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Next my. question. It's like, asking, it's like asking, it's a little bit like asking, you know, what, why is civilization better than non-civilization? Well, there's hot water and taxi cabs and uh, grocery stores, all kinds of things. Um, you know, um, transactions tend to be lawyer-heavy document thick and incredibly mysterious to the principles behind them. So it's, it's uh, you have to cut through that mystery so that the lawyers work for you rather than the other way around. And I don't know how to describe that for you other than to say you, you just have to, it's a 10,000 hour thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah, really we better is. move to the next. Great okay. question. Yeah, yeah, very good. Good question. Yeah. Good question. That is a, a, We've got five a, a great minutes. question. I don't know that I've ever been asked. We've got five that. minutes. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Noah Jacobson. I'm a uh, major in mechanical engineering. And um, i got a, like a, a question involving um, invest, investments. Uh, I'm uh, curious. Uh, besides the uh, businesses that all of you have invested in, um, I'm kind of wondering, like, what were your 
three best uh, companies uh, or even resources to invest in? And, and if so, why? Quality was a good. <laughs> I mean, number one, <laughs> things, things, things that we've done or things to invest in now. Uh, things that you've done, like, 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 like besides, uh, besides, like, 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 I think what you what you've shown us, of course. Yeah, so the stuff, you know, the answer to the stuff on here is the bigger the number on the right, the better, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you're asking more like industries? Yeah. Yeah, so on a macro level, you know, we try to look for growth industries. So there was a time in the, in the 90s when we did a lot of work in media. Most of the media investments are from that era. Uh, now it's a great deal of, uh, of technology-driven investments that are scalable, uh, like him, you know, recurring revenue, subscription-based right. uh, revenue so that you have revenue from the customer you sold last year, in, including the one you sell this year. That's pretty special. Um, okay, we better move on to the yeah. next question. Thank you, so, though. Very good. Yeah, good yeah. question. You can Anti catch up with him later if you'd like. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll be around for a little while, too. It's a good, yeah. good question for a two-week seminar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, hello, my name is Olivia, and you guys talked a little bit about the self-defeating lies, but what would you say is the biggest lie that most college students believe? What's, what, do you, what, wow. what do you say? Go ahead. What do you, wow, that's a great... Go oh, ahead. What is oh it? it's easy. easy yeah. The easy way. Yeah, this is too hard. It's, it, it's too hard, but <laughs> it, should, it should be easy. It's too hard. Right. It can't take that long. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's, I think it's everybody on that, because that's why people... Yeah, it's not just college students. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is a human that's deal. that's why, you know, uh, in relationships, it shouldn't be this hard. It sh you know, the movies make it so easy, seem easy, and it's really hard, takes hard work. Um, you know, businesses, you know, you watch a movie, it's a two-hour thing, and it just seems like it wasn't that hard to get where they were, and, you know, there was a little bit of struggle, but... But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's that long, being willing to do the right thing over a long period of time is the thing that a lot, most people aren't willing to do. Yeah. I think that happens in classes too. I tend to take easier classes. Well, that's going to backfire on you <laughs> at some yeah. point. Thank you. We better go to the next question. Yeah, yeah good question. Good question. Hi, my name's Gavin, and um, my question was like, how often have you like not gone for a good business model or good business idea because you're just worried it's too competitive? Like, there's too many other people trying to do the same thing. Um, does that happen very often, or do you think you can always find like a niche? I can answer about. Yeah, when we really started taking off, because um, our business model originally was we were trying to sell through the 150,000 insurance agents uh, an insurance type product. And then in 2006, where you know it started doing the J curve, uh, curve, we decided to go directly to consumer, bypass all the insurance brokers all over the country. I I called it. It was kind of like trying to herd cats. <laughs> Not very successful. And I figured we could outsell you know the thousands that we had contracted. And so, but when we started, there was one main competitor and seven other companies in front of us, and uh, that were pretty successful. So we kind of jumped into a thick crowd. But it even, I mean, even if it Facebook, it started with my, uh, uh, Friendster and MySpace. I mean, they weren't the first. And so, you know, if you have a good product, 
if you have something uniquely different, if you, if you, if, and that's part of the 10,000 hours, you know it so well that you can see this is, this needs to be done. This is not, even though it's a crowded field, you find that niche and you drive it through that niche and then you try to, you know, get market share. Okay. Did you have anything you want to say? We have, did you have a question too? Okay. So we can either, you can answer this or we can go to the next question. Well, let me answer this real, real quickly. I guess I would say those, those companies on the right there, there's, or anything on the board, there's no reason you would have heard of any of those. But on the right, those companies were sold, mostly the companies that you would have heard of if you followed the stock market, right? So in terms of a competitive environment, I mean, one of the things we actually try to do is, is, is find things to buy and build and grow that the big guys want to buy. So I have no interest in running public companies. Like, I've played that game a couple of times in my youth. I mean, when I say no, I mean like zero is not a big enough statement interest in the, in the headaches associated with that. But I love to sell to those guys because they can overpay a little bit because yeah. they're arbitrating between private and public values. So we like competitive environments as long as you can find a niche to, to get into. Great question. Thank you. I'm sorry yeah. we can't get to your question, but you can ask these guys. Yeah, we can. Yeah. And uh, thank you for having us tonight. We've had a great time, haven't we, guys?